This is Strange Assembly episode 240, Gen Con 2018, part 2. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Jay Earl. Hey! And as you may recall, we wrapped up our last episode at, mm, I don't know, noonish on the very first day of Gen Con. So we've got a good bit to go here on Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. That's a, a, a slight a bit of a joke because we had jumped ahead a little bit, but, you know, hey, there it is. Oh, let me not forget my little intro roll thing, right? You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can find us on social media. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. We're talking about GenCon. If you go back and look at our social media, you'll see a variety of, of pictures and commentary live from the show. If you want to check out more of the podcast, you can subscribe on our website or on the Apple Podcast app, in iTunes, in the Google Play Music Store. And if you do that, we'd always appreciate if you leave us a rating or review because that helps people discover the show. Now, my afternoon stuff starting out on Thursday at Gen Con 2018 was with some of these interviews. So why don't we kick it over to you, Jay, first for what you were doing on Thursday, having scrubbed out of the Legend of the Five Rings, the card game tournament. Sure. So my Thursday was after I finished scrubbing out of L5R, I then proceeded to go play in the Destiny tournament, which I scrubbed out of even harder. I did have the closest game I've ever had of Destiny. I was playing Mill. I milled my opponent, but Mill doesn't take effect until the end of the round. If I remember correctly, he needed to roll. He had two dice left to roll into the pool. He needed to get about five or six damage on it. He got exactly enough damage to kill me, so I lost. Anyway, scrubbed out of that, and now it was time for me to start wandering the Exhibitor's Hall. First thing I checked out is there's a new Transformers card game coming out soon. I got the con pack and the two-player, quote-unquote two-player starter set, and also sat down for a demo. They were doing demos and handing out commons from this, the upcoming set. It felt fairly simple, but I think a lot of that is, it's one of those simple mechanics, the complexity starts to come in with the some of the hard, higher level cards, and so this is all starter set, meant to be playable by kids, so it's, it's very simple, but I think it's going to have some com- depth and complexity to it. But that doesn't come out till the end of September, so we'll see what actually happens. Yeah, when that that reminds me, I I know they had a a thing of that set up learn to play out in the hall, yeah. but that's actually from Wizards of the Coast, right? And so they were the most they've been at Gen Con in a bit because they had there was the Transformers thing, but they actually had official Wizards of the Coast Magic the Gathering presence for the 25th anniversary. This is true, yes. It was interesting waiting in the demo line for for the Transformers game. They just had one demo line, so it was like a really long line, but every so often they'd be like, anybody for magic? And like two or three people in the back would stagger out to go do magic. Most of us were there for Transformers. 
<laughs> yeah, so anyway, so then I just wandered the exhibitor hall, um, saw there's always lots of cool things. I made a point, all of the things in our preview episode that we had talked about, I made a point over the course of the con to check out. I bought the ones that they actually had in stock. <laughs> I also, so I had not seen this in the lead up, but I demoed at Gen Con and really enjoyed and ended up picking up a copy of the Choose Your Own Adventure board game, which is just as silly as it sounds it is, but it's the fun kind of silly, so. Yes, I got that is, it's Choose Your Own Adventure House of Danger from Z-Man Games. Yep. I demoed that as well, but not until later in the show and it was sold out by the time that i i demoed Mm -hmm. that but it was yeah it was pretty fun i think it's based on an actual particular choose your own adventure book from a while ago yeah it really does have a choose your own adventure vibe to it they even little things like they literally like not just for the logo but it actually uses the same font Mm -hmm. on the cards that they used on the the books back then and it, it actually kind of made me think of, did you ever have the chance to play Legacy of Dragonholt? I did not, no. It, yeah, so I ended up not getting that last year, but then I, I traded for it this year in the, the math trade, and I've played it since. And it was kind of weird how there were, there were some similarities between those games. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, Legacy of Dragonholt, of course, is a much more complicated thing with a little bit more tracking of stuff. But yeah, it's still the the essentially go through a book, you have a decision. I mean, whether or not you can pick a certain decision depends on whether or not your character has a... you've assigned your character a particular skill. But yeah, that was like, wow, that was... I had expected there to be more of a difference. You even have more of a... I think in Legacy of Dragonhold, like, you're either... Do you succeed or not? The, the House of Danger actually does have a, a randomization element for some of the actions you attempt. You may or may not succeed, depending on, on your die roll, right? Right. So, yeah, one of the interesting things in the Choose Your Own Adventure, they had that too, but it wasn't a fixed target number... So if I remember correctly, you're rolling a d6 and you need like a 3 at the start of the game. But as you make choices and as you fail, that num- that difficulty number starts going up until if you've made some bad choices, it might be, oh, you actually need to roll a 6 on the d6 to actually succeed going forward. Yeah, and that ties in, and this is kind of specific to this adventure, but there's what a, like a psychic track... Like, your character yes. has, can possibly get premonitions or something, and the better you do, your, like, psychic rating or something goes up, and if you... When the tension level goes up and the difficulty goes up, it doesn't permanently stick you up at six. Eventually, you, you kind of wrap back around. You're like, well, you stunk it up so much that now we're going to reset you back down to a three, but then you, yeah. lose, you lost pips off of your psychic. So... It is a choose-your-own-adventure game. It really feels like a choose-your-own-adventure game. I mean, if that sounds awful to you, okay, you're probably not going to like it, but it it no. was really pretty fun and really had the vibe of the choose-your-own-adventure books. Yeah. So, yeah, if you, like me, are nostalgic for those, I would definitely recommend checking out because they were fun. It was a fun game. So I talked to folks from Games Adults Play. It was the first thing I did on Thursday afternoon. And so I'm going to 
toss that over to the interview and then we'll pop right back after that. I'm here on Thursday afternoon now, I guess, at Gen Con with uh, Ali Lloyd of Games Adults Play. Uh, we're here in Exhibit Hall C, which is sort of a, you guys have an extra outpost here in addition to your booth in the hall. <laughs> yeah, we have a larger space to demo games here. We're super excited to bring you guys our new adult party games. We have Oregon Trail, which is a new strategy board game. Um, Unlike the other game, you're working by yourself. You want all your family members to get to the end of the board, make it to Wilmot Valley, and fulfill the American dream. You need to have the most money to make it. And you're really building the trail as you're going and really thinking about your moves, using content resources. It's a really awesome game. And then we also have some of our party games. We have Friend or Foe, where players go through five rounds of questions. And as the game progresses, the questions become more revealing, more entertaining. And it's just a really hilarious game to play. And it's awesome because if you don't know the fr your friends that well, you can stick to rounds one to three. But if you want to make things a little bit more interesting, you can throw in four and five and just spice it up. And then we also have True Colors. Um, we revamped the old game from the 90s. We gave it a new look. We gave it a new feel. It's gorgeous. Box art is beautiful. And essentially, you really are, it's a revealing party game, and you're going to prove how well you know your friends and if they know you. And then we also have Toss Salad, which is a super cool um, charades-like game. Every piece of salad and Toss Salad has a double meaning on it, which is really awesome because if you have it lying around, your kids will have no idea what Toss Salad means. But to an adult, that is a completely different meaning. Um, and you go through three rounds, and eventually you can't speak at all. You just have to act out these pieces. It's hilarious. It's lots of fun. Love it. And then we also have Sip It, which is a really cool drinking game. Um, so essentially there are these cards and they have different tasks on them. And if something is too awkward, uncomfortable, out of the box for you, you just have to take a sip. And then there's fun cards like everyone needs to touch the ground, you know, it's super cool, super fun. And that's Games Adults Play. You can check us out at gamesadultsplay.com and follow us on social media. It's awesome. Really happy to be here today. And so that was uh, a conversation with uh, Ali Lloyd at games adults play uh and you heard you know from that that they have they have a number of, of party style games coming out but the one that i made sure to really check out and get home and bring home from that was oregon trail journey to willamette valley and now this is last year i think it was last year maybe it was the year before that there was this smaller card game sort of thing that was sold through target and the newer Oregon Trail is also sold through Target, and that was a a much more casual sort of like just play cards out in a row and see if you die or not kind of game. This new one, Journey to Willamette Valley, is really much more of a gamer game in that there's still a path, of course, because the whole theme is you're traveling across the country. You actually have like a, a wagon on your board with space on it, and your people take up a certain amount of space and they have health and you have to get supplies and you have to decide if you want to spend money to get, you know, wagon. Do you want to buy a spare parts? Do you want to buy winter clothes or something which you might need to do later? And you can actually try to make a little bit of money. That could be surprisingly brutal. I mean, maybe it shouldn't have been surprising because it's Oregon Trail, but mm -hmm. the first time we played it, I kind of got crushed because I ended up having backed myself into a metaphorical corner where like I a bad event took out my winter clothes and so like I couldn't get anywhere along the path I had constructed 
because it was all snow covered. So I was just kind of like desperately trying to hunt to get some more food so I could do something. And it was, uh, that did not end so well. That particular game did not end so well for me. But like, the, the point being is like, you, you really actually have planning ahead in that one. And so I also had the chance to interview the designer. So I'm going to go ahead and toss this to uh, another interview and you can hear from him about the game. I'm still here at Games Adults Play because after I, I, I finished talking to Allie, we had Daryl Andrews, the designer of the Oregon Trail Journey to Willamette Valley, uh, show up. And I, I don't know about, I'm, hopefully you, Daryl, but I know that I, I played this thing like when I was in elementary school and middle school. I, I, so I, I played it on the green and black screen. I actually have a more up-to-date computer version sure. because it was worth going. So, so this is cool. So... Uh, how did you get involved with doing uh, an Oregon Trail game? Yeah, well, I mean, just like you. I was a fan <laughs> growing up playing the old school original and then playing different versions as they came up through the years. I got connected with them, and they, they asked me if I was interested in making kind of a bigger game. I was familiar with the first two releases, and those are, like, fun, quick, mass-friendly. You know, you can get them to the table and be done in, like, ten minutes. But they were, like, looking for something that was a little of a longer experience that you could kind of play strategically but still really capture the the experience of the original game and so i had an idea i pitched it to them they they liked the direction and then they worked with me throughout the development of the of the design giving me directions and and helping me through the the process and we had like great development team and i had play testers play through all the different iterations and it evolved to now what you see today but behind the scenes, it took us a long time. Yeah, well, no, yeah, and I, I, I figure it's, it's got to be at least a somewhat serious on the strategy because it involves feeding your people. So there's like Agricola, Lahab, yeah. and now Oregon Trail. Exactly, and now <laughs> Oregon Trail. I mean, it seemed appropriate that, like, that was one of the things you had to manage. You know, when you went hunting, and and it seemed like on the video game you go hunting, you get all this meat, but you couldn't take any of it. <laughs> you only had a little bit of room in your wagon, so we we put that in the game and. You have those tough decisions of, like, do you, like, kick that family member out of that wagon and have some space in your wagon? Or, you know, do I go for some winter clothing or just maybe lose a little health or life going through that mountainous area? So yeah. it's all in there. Yeah, so I guess I, I get to rivers and I have to either ford them or cock you, my wagon and You've got it, exactly. You can, you can push your luck and ford through that. And you again might lose some health or you can take it safe you know and but it's a slow way to do it so you're racing trying to get there first because that's going to give you your best chance to win and everyone's still in it right to the end so you have that temptation to just like push it and and rush through those rivers but they can hurt yeah, well, because you, you get a bonus for finishing first, and somebody getting to Willamette Valley triggers the end, but right. but it still could be any other player. It could be it. any player. You got it, exactly. So we wanted it so that right to the end, you're rushing there. You're, you're motivated to try to get to the west as fast as you can, but you still have to take take care of your family and, and gather things along the way. You might find a hitchhiker. You you may even like buy and sell some stuff along the way that you find some towns and, and uh, some forts and uh, try try to be strategic with it while still surviving. Okay, and this is uh, this is a Target exclusive, right? And it's available right now because I think I saw one on Monday. 
Yeah, you're right. So it's funny. I'm actually from Canada, so I'm I'm rushing to Target so that I can even buy a copy. So, <laughs> so I'm excited. Yeah, it's great talking to you, Daryl. Yeah, really nice to meet you. Again, that was games adults play, and specifically, we we're talking about the Oregon Trail Journey to Willamette Valley game. If the Oregon Trail vibe is something that you're interested in, you can check that out. There's probably also the ability to kind of like do a little bit of modding in the game. Because if you remember, you must have played Oregon Trail. You're not young enough to have not played well, yes. Oregon Trail when you were a kid, Jay. Uh <laughs> yes, no, I, I my my favorite is we did have one of because because you know it would save some amount of from previous people's play. You would come across their gravestones and somebody had a playthrough where they had all these superheroes and so of course you would later come on that computer and find that Aquaman had died of drowning <laughs> oh but what but one of the things that you like you can't do by default in the game but you might have the ability to mod a little bit is right there was you could like to change the starting conditions in the game, right? You could mm -hmm. be like, well, if you start with less money, you can get more points, or if you start with more money, you can get less points for different times of year. So you could probably use that to handicap that a little bit. I'd say that, you know, you could use it to help your kids, like it gave Pete a little bit more even keel. But as I mentioned earlier, I, it may be that I need the handicap. So I'm just, just <laughs> saying. I also had the chance to talk with Cosmos, uh, and I'll throw it to that interview in a minute, but I, uh, the the thing that I have played the most of of theirs lately is the the exit the games right. There's there's several companies that make various escape room themed games. There's Unlock and Exit the Game and Escape Room the Game and you know Deckscape, but Cosmos is is Exit the Game and one of their their brand new ones was. Wow, I'm even like it's, it's 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 murder on the Orient Express, except it's not called that, right? <laughs> even like the the name of the detective is a riff on Hercule Poirot from Agatha Christie's novel, and so that one was is interesting, and we played that, and it was it was fun. There's there's have been really good, like their uh, one of their earliest ones was was maybe the battle was like a, the abandoned cabin. That one was really good, and. This one, the train mystery one, was was good too, and it's. Uh, but you actually did have to to solve the mystery at the end too. It wasn't just the usual individual logic puzzles. It then asked you at the end to like put all the clues together, and oh, try neat. to figure something out. Yeah, we'll throw this to to Cosmos. They'll talk about exit, but that's not the only thing you'll you'll hear us talking about. All right, I'm here with uh, Lily DeSisto at the Cosmos Games booth at Gen Con. 2018 uh, and you've got several new things starting out with the now this this is the audience can take comfort in the fact that we can't buy this here at Gen Con either but there is a, a, a new expansion for Imhotep that you guys have yes yes there is there's Imhotep a new dynasty which would, should be available by in stores by the end of August um, and it's all brand new site boards brand new tools to build um, on your monuments and then there's also a wager elements that that's added to the game um, you've got the Egyptian gods that will um, rule in your favor and give you extra points based on you know how you how you build and how you manage um, your success yeah. pleasing the gods always seems to be a positive thing in these games right yes, definitely you don't want to you don't want to cross that <laughs> okay and i know uh, no 
my family, we we have I probably have half a dozen maybe exit games, and uh, I play them with my wife and my kids. I mean, the kids like sort of participate, you know. Uh, but uh, you guys have a couple new ones, and then more coming out later this year, right? Yes. Yep. So we officially have eight available for sale now. The two new ones are um, Exit Dead Man on the Orient Express and The Sunken Treasure. The Sunken Treasure, I know you said you played it with your kids. Um, this is a slightly lower age range, 10 plus, whereas all the other ones are 12 plus. So, um, I mean, it didn't make it any easier for me, but for some, <laughs> it may. Um, so those two are available now. And then um, coming out later this fall, we've got the Mysterious Museum and the Sinister Mansion as well. So by the end of the year, we'll have 10 total exit titles available. And that's going to be, yeah, my, mine are... Mine are four and seven, so like they, they play loosely in yeah, very yeah, loose yeah. terms. We sometimes try to slow down and be like, okay, let's see if we just like let the clock run a little bit, if the seven-year-old can spot something on a card, yeah. that kind of thing. Sometimes they're better at it than the adults, honestly, <laughs> I find, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I also see, now you guys have uh, Lost, the original Lost Cities, and you have Lost Cities, the board game, and, and my wife loves the original Lost Cities because... She beats me every single time, uh, and I know you have Lost Cities rivals. I think we have we have cards and auctioning and. Yes, yeah, so it's it's similar to the card game in that it's a it's a card game. And there's no board, but you don't start out with a hand of cards. You the cards are all um, in the deck, and they get flipped over into a display, um, where then you have to bid on those cards to get them to order in order to start your expeditions. So there's that kind of bit, this auction bidding element has been added to it, which makes it really kind of I think a little bit more cutthroat even than the than the original card game. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is anything else here new you wanted to talk about? Um, We've also got Mercado, which is a new one strategy game by Rudiger Dorn. Um, you're, t- you're taking on the role of the Spanish elite, and you're trying to buy different um, items, luxury items in the marketplace. So, again, a little bidding um, element to it. Players bid on certain items, or they try to. They you have to drag, you have to grab um, coins at random from your coin purse, and try to match them up to purchase the item that's in the marketplace. Um, but the trick is that you don't know what coins you're pulling. And also there are counterfeit coins in your purse, which do nothing for you. So if you pull those, you're out of luck. But based on what items you, you are able to purchase, you get victory points. And um, the first one around the victory track uh, wins. Okay. And is Mercado something people can get in stores right now? Or is yes. That it? it actually just came in stock. Um, we just got it shipped directly to the show, but it's also going to our warehouse. So it'll be distributed in stores you know, within the next week or so, I'd say. Okay, cool. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Okay. So after I, I finished talking to the, the Cosmos folks, I had a few ticketed demos over the course of the weekend because right, a lot of the ticketed demo stuff you can get in anyway with generics, but sometimes you that does not, in fact, work out. So there were a couple games I, I did make sure to get ticketed demos for, and one of them was Ruby Combat Ready. And this was... this. <laughs> Yeah, and so right this this was on my list of interesting things in our preview episode and and this was one that like it's in this in between stage where it was on the Kickstarter but that time has passed but the physical game hasn't come out yet and this did I mean the hues thematically to what goes on in the show if you have a full table of people you've got the four girls the you know RWBY you're a team, but one of you is sort of going one-on-one. They're the focus 
of the match with one with whoever the main bad guy is and then the other people are either assisting her or they're taking out minions on the side before they overwhelm it's kind of like a, a speed based estimation slash pressure lock sort of system where you like you know that the bad guy's attack is either going to be aggressive or normal or sneaky which are successively slower moves so you have some idea of how fast the bad guy's speed might be and because you if your move isn't faster than the bad guy's speed then you just miss and a lot of times you need to try to work with the other teammates and so whoever is the slowest of the people who's helping that's how slow your group is and then i kind of escalate in within each individual round it, it sort of escalates until Frankly, early on, it, it escalates until the, the the girl gets knocked out of the fight, not not as an unconscious, but just gets sent off the fight because then the next player has to step up and have their turn as the feature match. And so it did, in that way, feel like the show. There were little tokens for Sfy, who stole my name for a dog. They did, Rooster Teeth, <laughs> stole my name for dog. I have no plans to ever like get a dog. I'm, I have children, that is enough taking care of of creatures that are very emotionally needy but uh, right i'm a we'll, we'll talk about cowboy bebop later i'm like an enormous cowboy bebop fan and the so my my notion had been like well if i ever got a dog it would be like the the, the dog in cowboy bebop is ein he's a he's a welsh corgi and so i would get a welsh corgi and name it Svi, right because ein is one in german Svi is two and that's what they did in in ruby the dog's name is he's a welsh corgi and they named him Svi. so i guess i'd have to name him try now if i ever got one ein Svi try but who knows maybe by the time i've retired and decided i need a dog i'll be up to needing like fear or oomph or something like that <laughs> <laughs> But that was Ruby Combat Ready, and that's being published by Arcane Wonders. Uh, so what else did you do on Thursday afternoon? Because I had been planning to spend all day in tournaments, so scrubbing out so early, I was basically with a lot of time on my hand. So, yeah, basically I just wandered around, got demos, checked out, bought stuff, <laughs> that bought more than I probably should have. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah. isn't that it's, assumed? It's, yeah, that's that's what Gen Con's for. <laughs> but yeah, I did some demos. I got demos of a lot of cool games. Is it City of Gears was the the Gray Fox one that they were demoing this year? Played that. Really looking forward to that. It's it's exactly the type of thing that I like out of a turn-based worker placement type game. Yeah, so I just wandered the exhibitor hall, got demos, bought things, and when that closed, went over to the open gaming area and just played some games for a while. And then, because I'm old and because I knew what my Friday was going to be, I turned in relatively uh, early on Thursday night. So, <laughs> None of my days have such an ending. Yeah. So after I finished the Ruby demo, I went and did a, a few more more talks, which we're going to toss to. The first one was with Sensible Object. They, as you'll hear, their their big thing is these like technology integrated ones. They did like a Kickstarter for one, and then they had another that is Alexa integrated, and so it <laughs> launched on Prime Day through Amazon. 
Nice. So I'm going to toss it to the interview with Sensible Object. Still Thursday afternoon. I'm here with Anna Dukakis at the Sensible Object booth. I think it's fair to say that you guys are uh, technology-enabled games. Yeah, definitely. Having connected games is, a, is basically the core of what we like to do as a company. Taking the best of tabletop and the best of technology and sort of fusing the two together to create different social play experiences is basically what we're all about. Okay, yeah. And now you have, you have two, two games here, Beasts of Balance, which was your first one, and then and When in Rome is the, the new one. And I know that I and maybe some other people saw When in Rome when it launched on Prime Day. And so what is going on with, with When in Rome? So When in Rome is a travel trivia game where two teams are competing to race around the world and answer as many questions as they can to get as many points as possible. But the twist is that Alexa hosts the game for you. So Alexa is kind of like the game master, keeping uh, like charge of the rules and the score, and also delivering questions via real locals from these 20 cities that you can visit who will give you questions that maybe you wouldn't actually get if you picked up like a traditional guidebook or something like that. Yeah, and I see how it's, you've got these extra cards that you can play, and the cards basically have commands that you give Alexa. Alexa, upgrade, please. I hate that question. Alexa, upgrade, please. Fetch the flamethrower. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were trying to find different ways that you could use the voice technology to kind of elevate the experience that you would get in a travel trivia game, which is already great in itself. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, the different upgrade cards allow the user to say something to Alexa and then Alexa kind of magically enacts that power. So they definitely provide a twist to the game that a lot of people enjoy. And then the, the other one was Beasts of Balance. And now this... I think you've recently done a Kickstarter for expansions to this in addition to the original game, but what is the, the core game of Beasts of Balance about? So Beasts of Balance is also a connected game, but instead of working with voice technology, it works with a digital app. So you have all of these physical pieces that you're trying to stack into a tower, but at the same time, anything that you place on that tower has an effect on the digital world that you're creating at the same time. So it's a case of balancing your physical balancing against the balance of your ecosystem that you're working to create alongside it. I saw this getting uh, demoed here. You've got sharks and a bear and an octopus and a pterodactyl maybe. And I see the app and they combine together to form new creatures in this little world being created on the screen. Yeah, I mean, it, it can get pretty crazy when you start combining different creatures and migrating them to different areas to evolve them. Uh, a lot of people say it's kind of like Jenga meets Pokemon, so you definitely get some pretty fun stuff. We have like some new creatures now as well, like a dragon and a unicorn. So the new hybrids that come out of that are also going to be pretty crazy. Yeah, and that is... Legendary Beast, Fancy Prance, the Fabulous Unicorn? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, they're pretty fabulous, uh, as the name suggests, and they also have mini-games that will be attached to them as well. So that was part of the expansion that we funded last year, as you were saying, on Kickstarter, and they're also going to provide an extra element of depth and fun to the game when people, if people choose to use them. Okay, well, now, now I'm sure Beasts of Balance itself is, but is, the, is all the, the Kickstarter expansion stuff available to the public now? Uh, so the Kickstarter is shipping to backers right now, and it is available for pre-order. So uh, on Backerkit, people could pre-order the uh, additional pieces now. And from September, they'll be available from our own channels and also on Amazon.com and .co.uk. Okay. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks. And from there, I moved on to the, the Upper Deck booth. You may recall that last year, I, I made sure to pick up the legendary encounters no no i'm sorry not legendary encounters to pick up the legendary buffy the vampire slayer this year they were showing off some stuff with uh legendary encounter i think it, this one was legendary encounters x-files but also several different 
just let Marvel legendary products. And uh, I did an interview there, and you'll hear about that. But I, I definitely had to make sure to stop by this booth because, uh, as you'll actually hear in the interview, Marvel Legendary is my son's favorite game. Like, man, I, if he ends up not liking games when he's older, he's going to look back on his childhood and be like, what did my dad do to me? <laughs> How much time did I spend playing X-Wing and Pathfinder and Marvel Legendary? I could have been, like, playing baseball or something. Jeez, Dad. <laughs> but anyhow, here's the, here's the interview with Upper Deck. I'm in the Upper Deck booth with Tyler Mays and a very large plastic plant. But I don't think you're releasing any plastic plant-related games today, right? Uh, no, no, no plastic-related plants. Uh, the big releases that we've got right now are uh, Legendary Encounters X-Files, which is the Legendary Encounters game that everybody knows and loves. Uh, the big difference here is that you're playing both sides of the coin. You've got some bad guys that are good, some good guys that are bad. you got to uncover the truth. There's evidence that comes into play when you need to fight you know, the big bad boss. Um, but it's a really fun game. You get to take over all your favorite agents, you know, Mulder, Scully, Skinner, all of that, and just go into town on the story. And X-Files is much a lot about the story, so it's those iconic episode um, storylines that you're used to that you get to play through. Um, we've also got Legendary uh, Marvel, uh, the 10th year anniversary for Mar Marvel Legendary um, with the MCU. Uh, so it's all the movie stills, and it covers phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's a re-envisioning of the, it's the core set, so it's what you're used to. Um, but you get to play through it with a little bit of a streamlining on the character selection and, you know, utilize the movie stills, bring your friends in uh, that maybe are bigger fans of the movie world than the comic book and publishing world. And it's fully compatible with all the Legendary System stuff. Uh, we also have the, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you got an expansion first. We have the um, Spider-Man Homecoming, which had movie stills as well with Tom Holland. So those fit right in and are a perfect pairing. And it comes with a game mat, which a lot of people are like covered the game mat over the game board. And this one comes with a game mat. So that's another nice little addition. Outside of that, we've got our big release, which is Dark Legacy The Rising. It's an original IP game. Original set was designed by Brian Tillman. And it's a constructed deck game that brings in tabletop elements uh, from the, you know, if you're familiar with tabletop RPG, you're going to have a D20 in there, critical hits, critical fails, or epic fails, as I like to call them. <laughs> and uh, you get a play mat, so that kind of serves as your character sheet. You'll be equipping weapons and armor and augments and controlling a bunch of creatures and casting spells. You go through a um, level is an important part of your character as you're playing yourself, and you'll get abilities and new card unlocks and be able to cast more difficult spells even easier as you level up. Uh, this allows us to really give a nice, diverse play experience that follows a little bit of a narrative. And it has six factions, so you can choose your play style and align with, do you want to be a bad guy? Do you want to be a good guy? How do you want to fit into the world you know, that, the, that this presents? Um, so it's a, it's a really fun game that brings in some of the epicness of tabletop, but also that strategy element of constructed deck. And we think it does a really good job of you know, bringing in the tense moments where you've got a huge hit that's coming in for your opponent and, you know, you've got a roll to hit this person. Maybe you do critical and do you know, double damage with your flamethrower. And it, it also it's a mix. It looks like a fantasy game on the surface, but it's a mix of fantasy as well as tech. You know, so if you want to be running with like a sword and a gun and a flamethrower, you can do that. If you want to be, you know, wielding magic and have magical tomes and artifacts, there are cards that allow you to do that. And you can really mix and match and hone in on the style that you like, which we really, really love. Okay. Now, I, I wanted to pop back to Legendary for a second because uh, Marvel Legendary is my seven-year-old's favorite game in the world. 
So I had asked him, well, you got to come up with a, a question I can, uh, I can ask, you know, and, and, and his question was to tell you that your game is awesome. Great so question. I, yes. The answer, <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> so uh, how about it? So I know, I know it's not brand new at Gen Con. It already came out, but like World War Hulk is a recent expansion for Marvel Legendary. Uh, we haven't gotten that one yet. So if, if we get World War Hulk, what, what would be the most exciting thing in when World War Hulk for my seven-year-old? Uh, for your seven-year-old, probably the transform mechanic. You actually get to go Hulk mode in this version. Uh, the, you know, several of the heroes will have the transform mechanic where once you meet the conditions, you go into a super version of that character, and you just get to completely smash, we, which is also another keyword. you got the smash mechanic. We've got the outwit mechanic, and it's it brings in so much new stuff, but it's also just a fun storyline. If you, people, well, Kids tend to love the Hulk. Right, I mean, like people, I, all of my nieces and nephews, their favorites are all, probably Hulk and Spider-Man, and so you get to come in and you get to smash things. And there's so many Hulk characters, and even for like you know people that are fans of the comics, it ties into the Planet Hulk and the World War Hulk storylines, which are some of the most popular ones out there. Uh, so if you if you that's what you love, I I think that it's pro- full disclosure probably one of my favorite expansions that we've had for. Uh, legendary just in general which you know we've, we've done a lot which that's the surprising thing like coming out with something new that's really revolutionary really awesome it's a fantastic expansion that's probably my favorite to play right now okay thanks for talking to us yeah not a problem thanks for stopping by and then the rest of my thursday from that point on was role-playing fest and and as i i said going in right during the preview episode this whole Gen Con was going to be very role-playing heavy. So at three, I had my, I, I had my, uh, my full session uh, Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition game. If you go back and listen to part one, we talked about V5 there and had the, the interview with the White Wolf folks, so I'm not going to belabor that anymore. Uh, I'm also, uh, this is also the first of three nights where I played in a Paizo Interactive. Uh, so these are, <laughs> right, there are Pathfinder and Starfinder events running constantly at Gen Con. They launch every five hours, basically, and then it's it's basically a four-hour session, usually plus an hour for the, you know, the GM to catch their breath. But the big evening ones, they have these, these ones are actually scheduled as five hours, these big interactives. They'll have somebody up there making audio. You have all these people at all of these tables all playing the same module that's specially designed for this. And, and I'm not going to go into the, you know, the details of what exactly those are or anything. But as we get to each of those uh, interactives, if I have any audio from that, I will, I'll go ahead and splice that in and you can, you can hear some, you know, they always have some, uh, a little bit of presentations there. And then the actual interview stuff with, with Paizo is, is going to be at the tail end of the episode. So there's going to be Paizo audio every once in a while throughout this. So, so heads up, but yeah, these ones are from eight to one and then they, they literally have another set. I'm ho- I hope fairly small. I wasn't, I'm not there to check it out, but they have another set of Pathfinder and Starfinder games launching at two in the morning. <laughs> wow yeah so <laughs> I'm like those have got to be some tired GMs by that one I basically got back to my hotel around 2 on Thursday night on Friday night on Saturday night so I was a very very tired panda by the time <laughs> Gen Con had, had wrapped up and it was great I enjoy 
the heck out of these things. But it was there was there was definitely some energy drink infusions needed at times. So Thursday night was my my first of those that wrapped up at one. Finally uh, crawled back into the hotel room, and then we roll over to to Friday. Everyone's already gotten my sob story about Friday morning mm-hmm. and the math trade and the letter of the five rings that was also covered back in episode one. So we know what I was doing on at least the beginning part of Friday morning. So what did you do on Friday morning, Jay? Is this your true dungeon day? Yes, Friday was my true dungeon day. Friday, I did four of the five true dungeons that they were offered with the fifth one coming on Saturday. Wow. Yeah, so that that was pretty much my day. It was just true dungeon and occasionally food. (laughs) Sustenance is not frivolous. No, it is not. So yeah, basically the the short version of True Dungeon, if you've if you're not familiar at all with the concept, it's sort of if D and D meant an escape room and a LARP in a back alley, and it's crazy how well run this thing is. Like every twelve minutes, you go into the next room. There's there's it's super well timed. So as I said, there were five of them, five offerings this year. Four of the five of those are, well, three of the five of those are their traditional adventures where you have seven rooms, you have 12 minutes in each room. It's either going to be a puzzle or a combat. So a puzzle is going to be your typical escape room type, you know. Here's a bunch of arrows, here's a bunch of clues. You need to put the arrows physically with the, the right boards or... There was a cool puzzle this year where they have had a bunch of lanterns, and if you touch the lantern, it would get brighter and brighter until, like, the fourth touch would turn it back off. And there were, like, four of these, and so you had to touch them to get them all into the brightest configuration. But in the right order, if you did it wrong, the party was going to take damage. And then the combat... I mean, it is really impressive what they're doing. They'll have a puppet or they'll have somebody in a costume, and they'll actually figure out how the combat works. So it's all about these little poker chip-sized tokens that represent the gear, the treasure that you want because you're playing D&D. And so you'll have a weapon that is a poker chip, and you put it in a little little table hockey, tabletop hockey puck-type situation, and then you play shuffleboard. They've got a board that at one end is a, an outline of the monster you're fighting, and so you'll slide from the other end your token, and you're trying to get your token onto the monster on the other end of the board to determine if you hit it, and then you do damage. So yeah, the three of those were their traditional, this is this is the main storyline that we've got going. One of them, I thought this was cool, is, is a cheaper entry, is a... It's aimed at new players, people who have not played before. It's a compendium of a few previous years' worth. So it was all stuff from before I had started playing, so I, we decided to, to check it out, to give it a try. It's sealed, so you, get, you just get a pack of treasure tokens, and you're not, you know, you're not bringing in the guy with $800 worth of tokens is not showing up and making it unfun. It's all just whatever you got. And so it's very new player friendly. 
And then the fifth one is they call the true grind, where all it is all it is is like an hour of doing the combat and sliding the tokens, and there's a little bit of story, but it's fun too. So yeah, if you've not tried it out before, I would recommend, you know, at least go over to the to the Lucas Oil Stadium. They'll let you into the first little open area where they've got a couple of things set up. You can see how cool the stuff looks. And if you have the time and if you have the inclination, play that beginner-friendly, the sealed version. It's a lot of fun. I would say that I, I wish I knew more people who were doing it regularly because I did five of these. Each time you're doing it, it's supposed to be ten people in the room in your part in your party, and so swapping in a whole new set of people that you've not met before, you know, there's varying levels of like one one of them that did went really well because uh, it was people who knew how to do puzzles and knew what they were doing, and so we were able to get through it pretty well. And then another one was a bunch of random people who did not know each other and did not know what they were doing and nobody was taking leadership and there was a little bit of arguing and bickering and doing their own thing and so we failed a couple of those. It's definitely a thing if you can get a a bigger group and go in knowing the people that you're with, you're probably going to have more fun. But even if not, it's still a lot of fun, I would recommend. Yeah, that's one of the, these little conversations Jay and I have is that we'll we'll get up right near Gen Con and be like, oh, we should make sure to do stuff together. And it's like <laughs> too late at that point yeah. to to like really actively, because well, we used to just have the automatically, oh yeah, well, we're spending like two entire days doing the same thing when we're playing the Legend of the Five Rings card game. Right, exactly. It used to be that, oh, we're going to be sick of each other from L5R, let's not. And <laughs> now that we're doing different days of L5R even... Yeah. Yeah, we we should we should probably come to some sort of arrangement where like you come and play like Pathfinder for part of a day and then yeah. like I go and do True Dungeon with you guys. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We could uh Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if I wonder if we can get enough are there any enough, enough of you listeners out there who want to be a, in a in a True Dungeon pod? It's, wait, so is wait, this I, I, the newbie? <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to be the newbie. You've mentioned this for past years, and do they still do this? Can like you do the same module, like either as a combat-oriented version or a puzzle-oriented version? So they've actually uh, started phasing that out. So yeah, it used to be that a given module would have two branches: combat or puzzle, which would be the puzzle of the seven rooms. Two of them are combat, and five are puzzle, and then the combat is the other way around. They've basically out of space constraints decided instead of having four tracks going where it was, you know, two modules of puzzle and combat, they're now doing three modules, but they don't differentiate puzzle combat. It's just the one module. Okay. And and thus you can do five different things in one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Good. Can squeeze the footprint of five different things into Lucas Oil Stadium. I did make a point of going over to Lucas Oil Stadium, just kind of like look at the open area that they had set up, but I didn't actually have anything in Lucas Oil Stadium. Mm. But uh, they had their little booth over there. Did you see the, I think it was called Miniature U? I did see that. 
it always had a line, so I never actually went through it. But that that was an amusing concept. I kind of part of me did want to go check it out, but just when I was over there, giant line, and I have other time constraints going. Yeah. So the concept with this this is that they basically do a three D scan of your head, and then you can order various miniatures where the head on the miniature is going to be based on the 3D scan of your head. Now, they don't have licenses, so it's like, if you want a um, space samurai, you know, you can get a space <laughs> samurai to use and say, I don't know, maybe you'd use it in a Star Wars game. I'm sure that is complete coincidence. Yeah. Or like, you know, yourself as an elf or a dwarf or, or whatever version that is. The, the sort of like weird impediment to that is like you'd, I'd really want to use that in a game where I was using that as my miniature on an ongoing basis, which would mean my character would have to actually just be me. Yeah. <laughs> which I can do, but you know, usually you strive to be something other than just you. Yeah, something more interesting, yeah. Uh, but still, that's... I, I, I think the more I, I end up... The, the more I do more role-playing games, the more interesting the whole... All of a sudden, I become more interested in actually shelling out for miniatures to use in that. I mean, it, I guess it has to be the right sort of role-playing game. You're, you're going to hear, right? I, there, there's a number of role-playing games where like miniatures are completely useless, but mm -hmm. the stuff in your your D and D and and Pathfinder milieu, it is really much cooler to have like a miniature that really looks like whatever the character is running around instead of like a button. Yeah, well, I mean, just have, generally having a miniature that represents you well. For a while in our D&D Adventures League, I was playing a bard, and I don't even remember where I got this. I've had this since, like, high school. A miniature of Elvis holding a grenade and an Uzi, and so I was using that for my bard. I think your idea and my idea of a miniature <laughs> depicting the character may be a little bit different, Jay. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, because I have things like I oh, so I'm I'm playing a, a female halfling rogue in in PFS. That's one of my characters, PFS Pathfinder Society. So like, let's go out and actually find a. Now it was a it was a D and D miniatures game figure that I found, and some of that you can do at at reasonably inexpensive. You can also go get like really nice custom stuff from Hero Forge. Yeah. Which I cannot say is the wrong way to go. I mean, like, you have to have enough money to make that the right way to go. But you can get some really cool custom stuff from, from Hero Forge. But just, just like, one of the... Like, something that, that's at least, like, it's a fantasy miniature, and it's the right, you know, species and, and gender. And if your character is sword and board, you know, having a fire... Uh, you know, having a miniature that has a shield and a sword, or if there are two weapons, or if they didn't use ranged, or... Whatever, just I, it, I don't know. I just really like that. Even if you're in a, a really straightforward sort of game that's not doing all sorts of role playing. Well, because of course you don't even right. The miniatures only out when you're fighting for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Instead of the actual, uh, you know, talking uh, interaction. But still, uh, I think it's really neat. And then on the game master side, the I really like the Pathfinder, the pawns that Paizo puts out. Again, okay, sure, in an ideal world, the, the the Game Master or DM has a fancy, either painted or pre-painted or whatever miniature of exactly what it is. But that's, like, it's one thing to to spring 
five or ten or thirty or whatever dollars on the miniature for your character as a player that you're going to repeatedly use that's really rough on the the gm but those pathfinder pawns are a really nice compromise there again they're they're just infinitely better than some nondescript token but you can get just like a whole pile of them even if you're you know at full retail it's you know 25 or 40 bucks depending on what you're getting really really handy those those ones that Paizo publishes anyhow so their their scanning thing was over at at Lucas Oil Stadium and that was a miniature you uh so my friday i was scheduled to do Legend of the Five Rings the card game that didn't happen so i ended up doing one of you know a a a big chunk of my exhibit hall walk through on on Friday there's pictures of that but some of the the particular things that I I looked at I went over and visited the Artalsorian booth and that was in in part because they had right there that Cyberpunk 2077 video game had been previewed and that had been making me think about what did happen to Cyberpunk, the role-playing game? And I, I was actually, I don't know if surprise is the right word. I'm thinking like, do I, do I own that? I know I remember looking at that. I remember, I remember that from undergrad. Did I own that or was I bought, was it somebody else's book, right? Because this is, these days, if I'm playing a role-playing game, I surely own it. But right back in the days of youth, it might be like there's just the one person, player who actually has the book. And everybody else has to borrow it to read it because you can't afford yeah. for everybody to buy their own copy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it turned out I did not. But so they have, I mean, you can still go buy a, and I think they sold out of what they had. You can buy a, but something that's basically a, a, a reprint of Cyberpunk. It's, it's kind, I mean, not, not the super fancified version like uh, Fantasy Flight did with their their anniversary re-release of the West End game, Star Wars, but just like, here's Cyberpunk as you would remember it from 20 years ago. But then they're also coming out with uh, with Cyberpunk Red, I think is what it's called. Not out yet, but... Which is going to be an updating of Cyberpunk, and it's gonna... It needs to be set in the future, because like, Cyberpunk 2020 is not really that far away anymore. <laughs> what? No. I, I know, I know. Well, and the interesting thing is you can always you can tell with the technology when you go back and look at some of these old sci-fi things and like what has or hasn't happened or what but the thing where we almost always have exceeded the projected futurization is the communications technology. Like just the way that that smartphones and and the internet and and all that have made just this instantaneous worldwide communication so incredibly feasible. So I'm 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 definitely looking forward to checking that out. It's not out yet. They were all they were selling. I think they had just released the a Witcher role playing game. So it was kind of funny. Like they're right there. You know there are there are companies that are behemoths and they have these you know giant booths up front. Or if you're Asmodee, you know you have like 18 different booths at different places under all the different studios. And, and you know you kind of know that those ones are used to having big lines. So like Artalsorian was further near the back, and they had a line for people trying to buy The Witcher like going out of their little small section of booth and then like wrapped around and then going into the next aisle. I think they had like some Gen Con 
convention center fire code people have to come over and be like you've got to close down your line until it gets down <laughs> to a little bit smaller and so it's not up yet but you can in the very near future expect to see a a review from me on the the witcher role-playing game and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to to check something out for cyberpunk when that that comes along i got the chance to demo the new arkham horror third edition which was really like was that really was that the biggest announcement from fantasy flight oh no no i'm sorry key, the keyforge thing obviously was but of the stuff that's more in my wheelhouse i think that that arkham horror third it was kind of funny like the math trade i go back to i just traded for a lot of like everything arkham horror second edition and then they announced third and i'm like this is the place where the sensible person would be like oh, whatever you can still just play the second edition stuff but now i have to be like oh do I still want the second edition stuff or do I, am I just like obligated to go to the third, even though that's dumb of you, Chris. So I got to play a demo of that. It was, I don't know. I don't know if we like inherited a bad board state from the prior demo or something, but like we got obliterated. I mean, I know that that happens with frequency in, in any of the Arkham horror files games, but we got, we got crushed. So Arkham horror is the oldest of these games. And it's sort of a, I guess now it's it's kind of a midpoint scale-wise where you've got Mansions of Madness, which may not literally be... I mean, it may literally be in a mansion, or if it's outside, it's like a very small physical area that the characters are going over. Eldritch Horror, you are romping around the entire world. Arkham Horror, you're in a town, basically, like by... Without expansions, you're just in Arkham, right? And you're going from place to place in the town. But it does encompass the entire town. Third edition, it's it's substantially streamlined from second edition. It incorporates things. I know we didn't really get to see them in the demo, but you can actually have like ongoing story sort of things for the the characters like you have in in say like the the Arkham Arkham Horror the card game that gets worked in. So that's coming out this year Arkham Horror uh 3rd edition. I got to take a look at Seven Wonders Armada. This is Seven Wonders, not Seven Wonders Duel, but it adds naval combat to the game. Wow. So, in addition to just the normal military stuff, you've got this board off on the side where you can build fleets. There's actually a universal comparison of all players on who's got the biggest naval military and that that like has separate point things but also as you're building stuff on this board you can move up on tracks and like get more money or or oh here's the the green ships can help count towards your science score it was interesting i was actually i probably shouldn't have been i mean there must have been something about it in advance i was actually kind of surprised by that because it, you sort of like forgot uh, not that, not that i forgot about seven wonders but i wasn't thinking about seven wonders as something they were still actively producing content for, kind of like they had moved over to to, to Duel, to the, just the two-player version. But that, uh, I think that premieres at Essen. It was only available for demo at Gen Con, not purchase. Uh, but that was Seven Wonders Armada. I stopped and took a look at a game called Master of Wills over in the Entrepreneur section. And I think that the company that published it is Stormcrest Games, but they're really, like, it's really just Master of Wills. Like, the website is masterofwills.com and the booth is Master of Wills. 
And I actually originally stopped because I thought the art for the game was really cool. No, I don't have like the right language to use sometimes. I really don't for music, but I don't I don't always for art either, but it's it's sort of a a synthesized sort of art. I mean, this one is very I mean, like it's both synthetic and synthesized where you you kind of have like what looks like a normal image but altered a bit and digital but like more in an artistic sort of way. It's not like just oh, here's the super super sharp 3D image. It vaguely reminded me, in some ways, part of the art of Christopher Shy, although it's, I'm not sure why, it's just, I mean, it's in a very general sense thing, but anyhow, it's like in some urban futuristic setting. So, Master of Wills is a, I guess, card-driven board game would be the technical way to put it, but, you know, each, each player has a customized deck, each player has, like, a faction-specific sort of deck, and then there's a common pool of cards, and these come out into a a layered cityscape like the people come out kind of unaffiliated and you're trying to influence them when you get enough people like if you get them all the way to your side they get locked there and then you can win by getting enough people locked on your side and it like the art looked cool and i i didn't get to see a ton of the game the the gameplay but it seemed interesting but and i was i was curious about this because this is what i ran into is that they had the base game and then they had, I don't know, five or something. I mean, they had like a whole bunch of like different faction expansions you could buy. And then I think there may have also been little packs that could go with the factions. And then just all sorts of accessory things like t-shirts and art prints and whatnot. And it was the sort of thing where, and I and this is, this ha- has happened to me before. And so I'm curious if it's just me or something where I'm like, wow, that would be an interesting thing to try out. But I feel like I can't just try it out because there's so much of it. It's like if if I'm doing something, I tend to want all of it. And so at some point, the buy-in becomes so high that it kind of dissuades me from even just buying the base product because that no longer feels like the complete thing. Do you ever do that to yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to get all of the things, and but that's ridiculous, so why take the, the starter thing if I can't have all the things? Yeah. The place where this always comes up is the, like, the for me, is like the CMON Kickstarters. Like, well, if you're Kickstarting one of those things, <laughs> yeah. you got to kickstart the everything exclusive thing. So it goes from being like the $100 buy to like the $350 buy. Yeah, exactly. I, I Kickstarter, I, I, I passed on an RPG Kickstarter a, a week or so ago that was like, Oh, you know, you could kickstart just the core book for for a reasonable price, but I want all of the books. But that's like five hundred dollars or something, and I'm like, eh, I don't want to spend five hundred dollars on this role playing game I've never played. And I grant that it's irrational, but no, it's definitely there. I mean, because there's nothing that stops you from yeah from getting the one. But I did that with I it's I I probably don't really need any more Cthulhu themed stuff right now because I. I, I like it more than I used to because I really like fantasy flight stuff, but mm-hmm. I've also like got stuck in the middle of actually trying to read Lovecraft because it's <laughs> not that interesting. Um, sorry, uh, you know Lovecraft fans, it's not bad, but like it's I just kind of get bogged down and end up screwing around with some game on my phone on the train instead of reading it because uh, like I it, it's this sort of thing where like okay, do I push myself through this and maybe it gets better? But but Simon had that uh, Death May Die kickstarter and 
it was all kind of like reasonable. I mean, you know, for these, as far as these things go, until you got to the final add-on, which was like the essentially the capstone quest of the game with a fight against you know Cthulhu, whoever it was, which which was like a hundred fifty dollar add-on. Wow! Because it was like a two foot tall miniature. <laughs> I, or I, I'm uh, like, oh, come on, guys. I I just, I mean, I know a lot of people sprung for it, so it's not like uh-huh. they are not even slightly hurting for customers, but I just could not could not bring myself to spring for it. On, on a side, side tangent, I really want to believe this is too, true. It's a apocryphal story I've heard of Gen Con years and years ago. was back when Heroclix was at its height. They did a game of Heroclix where you had to fight Galactus, and for Galactus, they literally had a guy in cosplay just standing there. Yes, yes. When that's entirely reasonable, because you don't have to, you know, the the players didn't have to, you know, purchase a human-sized miniature. <laughs> right. Uh, right, it was a one-shot event with... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, let me try to wrap up this Friday to mid-afternoon period, and then I think we're going to have to skip on to part three of this episode but not 12 not 12 <laughs> i swear jay not 12 yeah I swear well, and, too. It, it, yeah so anyhow so like so master master of wills it was like that if it if it like if it was a we just launched and here's our cool game and okay maybe there will be more stuff later but like i just i just couldn't spring for the the like limited thing it was a little ah well anyhow but I, I I played a game called Shadows Amsterdam, which is I think also going to hit at Essen. And the guy who was doing the demo described it as, and I think this was reasonably uh, accurate. It was Code Names meets Mysterium. Hmm. You do this in teams, so you have two teams who are doing this competitively in real time against each other. But within a team, the mechanic is that you have one clue giver, and you have the rest of the team that's trying to figure out what's going on. And the idea is that there's been some sort of crime that has to be solved, and you are trying to be the first detectives to solve it, but you also have to avoid the police because they're not really, you know, not really big fans of this. And like in code names, the person who's giving the clues has a card that shows where the clues are, and there are some clues that are in common between the different teams, and then there are some clues that each team only has on its own. Additionally, there are places where the police are, which will get you in trouble if you run into those. And the reason why it's like Mysterium is that this is actually like a little map-looking thing on the board with hexes with pictures. There's a, a set of images that the clue givers have available to them. They're all communally pulling out of it, and they have to give clues only by picking these pictures kind of like you do in mysterium and like if they give one picture that's a fairly that can be a relatively straightforward clue because if you only give one picture that means you're telling your team that you only want them to move one space i mean of course that can be a little slow then of course you can try to get them to move two spaces because Maybe you just want it to move a faster number of turns or because you need them to skip over one of the danger spots that's going to get them in trouble. But then, of course, when you give them two clues, you're telling them you want them to move two spaces and that opens up a lot more possibilities. It could be harder for them to figure out. Sometimes you might be able to combine two clues together to more precisely pinpoint. 
but sometimes you've got one that's really good and the second one's kind of like eh and do you know i don't know so it, it really again like when, when they when they described it as code names uh i, I was, as i put it code names smashed up with mysterium uh thanks aeg <laughs> <laughs> that really is how the game felt so you have to get all the clues and then you have to get out of there before the other team does and that was really a different element of it too it's the two like in code names right the two teams are taking turns in this everybody is going at the same time in real time and so that was if if that you know if if mysterium and or code names are of interest to you shadows of shadows amsterdam probably will be too that's not out yet like i said i think that's going to be an sn release and the last thing I will hit on to wrap this up is just because I don't know if this is a trend or something, but I'll notice. Uh, did you at the Renegade Games booth? They had the the Overlight role playing game. I missed that one. No. Okay, so I mean, this I do not have the full game, and I uh, I had looked at it. They had a free RPG Day module earlier this year. And the, really the most striking thing about it is that it is super colorful. Literally, there's different colors of light that mechanically mean things in the game. But like the whole thing is like just a giant rainbow on the cover. But just in the realm of accessories, they actually had a full spectrum of set of nail polish. And then I know we've like already hit the vampire stuff. They're also launching a... Vampire the Masquerade branded eyeshadow and lipstick to go along with uh, the game, but not nail polish, which is odd to me because, you know, when you think back to the early 90s, somewhat goth-centric Vampire the Masquerade, you would think that, like, nail polish would be, your like, after eyeshadow or something, like, that would be one of your prime things, but it's lipstick instead, maybe... I, don't know, I guess you could. I guess you could have like just you could combine them to have a role-playing game makeup set, I suppose. But really hitting on the accessories, like accessories, like I guess that's. I think that's the new frontier for monetization of your games. <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. Custom dice, not enough anymore. Even I'm buying the custom dice now, so you know that there's more money <laughs> to be made by more accessories. <laughs> Oh, it's funny because it's true. So we are going to wrap up this episode now, and then we are going to come back on Friday night. Uh, you know what? So we're, we're almost going to wrap, wrap this episode up now. Uh, there's another Friday night Pathfinder Society thing. Again, it's another interactive. We already hit on the Thursday night interactive. Same sort of thing. What they There's like an interactive that premieres. They have these seasons, and they kick off the seasons at Gen Con. So Friday night at the SAG, at the Sagamore Ballroom, is, is like the kickoff for the new season of Pathfinder and Society and Starfinder Society now, I guess, or the end of the prior season, however you want to look at it. So the one that I played on Thursday night was actually a variant of the interactive from last Gen Con. Uh, it, it's a variant so that like you can, it's a diff- slightly different version so you can play in, in them in successive years because normally you can't replay the same, you can't replay the same module. And so Friday night is is the big kickoff. So I am just going to close out the episode with the audio from that. And then the next thing you hear will me be saying fare thee well to everyone, and we will talk to you again on Saturday morning in part three. 
is that there's still time to save the tapestry and those who live inside. The former master of spells glares at the tapestry for a moment, and then a new rip catches his attention. He jabs a finger at the frayed fabric. There! You see? The degradation is causing, or perhaps caused by, rifts to the astral plane that are appearing throughout the demiplane. Fixing these tears is not as simple as stitching fabric or performing a few rituals. We must enter the tapestry itself, find the rifts, and repair them as best we can. The tapestry is in chaos. Undead horrors are emerging throughout the demiplane, and we do not quite understand why. On top of that, the people and creatures of the tapestry are reacting to the chaos, and they are only making matters worse. That, Pathfinders, is where you come in. Aramze finally turns to face the crowd gathered around him. The tapestry is a massive realm, and we have spent years exploring it and using it for travel. I fear that our activities are at least partly responsible for the degradation, and I don't think it's a coincidence many of the six most damaged areas of the tapestry are sites of previous Pathfinder missions. Zay's face twists into a pained expression. My efforts to repair the demiplane over the course of the last several days have met with nothing but failure. The decline continues to accelerate. I have no choice but to send you into the tapestry to deal with the chaos around these six sites. I'll be sending in other teams to perform the laborious work of patching the rifts once you've established control of the situation, and then I can work on a more permanent solution. Time is of the essence. By my estimates, in a little over two days' time, the entire demiplane will collapse without your efforts. I don't care what motivates you, whether you want to preserve powerful artifacts, save innocent lives, or be a good pathfinder. Get in there and get the job done. Aramzei returns his gaze to the tapestry, raising his hand to his forehead and wincing in pain. In a low rumble, he adds, You're all this demiplane's last hope. Don't let them down. Table GMs, part two has begun.
you a quick uh, report from the Any Awards where Paizo won an Any for Best Cartography for the Packworld Starfinder book. So thank you guys for all the support of Starfinder and thank you especially, I don't want to take any more of your time, I want you to kill monsters or be killed. Anybody dead yet tonight? Over there, two, yes, all right. Uh, okay, so thank you so much for your support of Starfinder. Thank you for 10 years of Pathfinder Society. Uh, and thank you for checking out the Pathfinder playtest. Our team has worked super hard to make Pathfinder the best version of Pathfinder it can be. But now it's in your hands, so please give it a look. Let us know what you love, let us know what you maybe less than love, and we will do our best. So thank you guys very much. Our staff is here, our creative staff. We have editors, we have developers, we have customer service people. We're gonna come around to every table and give you guys all a free limited edition WizKids Pathfinder Battles miniature just for playing with us. So thank you guys very much. Free stuff, bring it on. <laughs> all the time that you guys have put in, and this is just our staff's way of saying thank you. So game on, kick and try not to die. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast and the Apple Podcast app in iTunes or in the Google Play Music Store. If you do that, we always appreciate it if you leave us a rating or a review. That helps people find the podcast. You can find us on social media as well. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter. I can be reached directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. Always love to hear your comments and feedback. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.